Are you ready? It's that time! Welcome, everybody, to this episode of Man Buns and Jesus. I think it's episode 15 of season three. It might be episode 14. I really need to start checking that before I start these shows. Uh, but in any case, you are here, and uh, we are continuing through 1 Corinthians. This is not a side quest. And we have an interesting cast this morning. Uh, ben is off, I don't know, gallivanting somewhere in a cold, I don't know, he's on vacation or something. Um, so instead, we have John with an H. Uh, it will be co-hosting and slash guesting, whatever that means for us today. And then our, our real guest today, no offense, John with an H, is John without an H, uh, John Niederbrock, who is, are you C, CFO or COO? Um, COO. So Chief Operating Officer of the Pacific Southwest District, which is the district that John with an H and I both uh, both work in and are both blessed to be in. Well, I guess I don't know how you feel, John, but I feel blessed to be here. <laughs> uh, and the reason that we're, we're, we have invited John without an H on today is because our, our text comes from 1 Corinthians 16, and it says this. It says, now concerning the collection for the saints... As I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. Um, and a, just a little bit of context before we dive in. Uh, because this is kind of like this isn't a passage that your pastors probably preached on. It, it would be a weird passage to preach on. What Paul is doing is he's instructing these churches kind of across across all of his missionary fields to to put together a collection for the church in Jerusalem who um, by all accounts is bankrupt. They're really struggling financially. So the other churches, around are, are collecting to support the, the mission in Jerusalem. And that kind of leads us to why we have John on today, because we do kind of a similar thing today. Um, you, you may, I don't know how familiar our average listener is with your church budget, but a lot of your churches hopefully um, donate to the district and, and maybe to the Senate as well. And what that does is that allows the district to uh, to support churches who maybe need that support. At that point, I, I do want to invite you, John, um, to kind of just give us a, a brief overview of kind of how that works and, and how district uses those donations to support churches all over the place. Yeah, so um, congregational giving is one of the main pillars of how the district operates. Um, as congregations give to the district, there's several ways it's used. Um, most people are probably familiar with the district when they're going through a call process and there's, you know, they're seeking their next pastor or an associate or a teacher or principal or whatever. 
Um, so the giving of the congregation um, sense to the district helps to support our staff and our uh, mechanisms that help to uh, to come alongside congregations and schools um, as they are seeking to find the people that they need to find and that God would have serve in their places. So that's that's kind of the big deal. And then it's also missions. Um, we have regional mission councils at the moment that um, in each one of our four regions in our district that distribute money um, for uh, mission, uh, different mission startups, um, different mission ideas, um, things to reach the community better um, that uh, congregations and ministries can apply for and, and receive a grant from the district. So those are kind of the two big ways that um, that congregational giving um, is then distributed to our churches and other ministries and schools in, in our district. Just a quick clarifying question. So those grants that are distributed regionally are those those are only given to churches that ask for them, right? They're not kind of just distributed to different charities and groups. That's right. Yeah, it's an application process. Um, the the regional mission councils review those in connection with our uh, mission executive, Reverend Dominic Rivkin, and um, and then, yeah, they distribute, they each have an allocation based on the overall budget, which this year was about $400,000. Um, and they each, uh, they each get a fourth of that, essentially. So each has about $100,000 to work with. Sounds See, like- That's the first time I've ever heard Dominic Rivkin introduced as Reverend. Yeah, I don't know how that came out of my mouth, but it did. <laughs> For anyone who's never met Dominic, he's a very relaxed uh, dude. Um, so I, I only ever referred him as Reverend Reverend Dominic. Oh, the esteemed Reverend. Maybe you guys are closer than I am. I don't know. <laughs> very, very right, Reverend Dom. <laughs> I uh, I was on the phone with him as he like drove on the highway past my house uh, a few days oh. back. But <laughs> he's like, I'm stuck in traffic, but I kind of have to go. He, I don't know if he wants me sharing this, but I'm going to anyway. Uh, <laughs> said I kind of have to go to the bathroom, but I'm stuck in traffic. I'm like, I mean, if you pull off now, you could you, like you could come to my house and use my bathroom. I guess. <laughs> um, that is the life of a deployed uh, district <laughs> employee. Absolutely. Did he, did he make the home visit? He did not. Oh. Which Shame. that would have been an, a weird ending to that. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah. I speaking of that, I think uh, you, Dominic, and and Mike, who's the district president. I was sitting in the airport with you guys mm -hmm. uh, after one of our things. And Dominic and Mike started going over their schedule for like the next months. They're never home. Mm -hmm. Like, really, they should just buy camper vans because it would be more <laughs> efficient for them. <laughs> we, uh -huh. we have considered, you know, buying a condo or something in, in different regions of our district. Just it, it, the numbers don't work out, especially with the real estate at this point. But uh, yeah, because there is... There is a ton of travel that goes on. I think that that emphasizes really what you were saying before when it comes to giving. See that? Look at that. Yeah, nice. Nice. Circle right back. You know, our... Kind of with that, as someone who sees and, and kind of experiences these numbers, what trends have you been seeing, like, as far as churches giving in support of the larger church, the larger body of the church? 
because I have absolutely no idea what that looks like. Well, I'm going to give you some sad numbers, actually, within our district. I can't speak for other districts, but um, I, I looked at some numbers this morning in anticipation of this. So uh, we have about 250 constituted congregations. Uh, this does not include our mission uh, congregations that don't necessarily have a constitution developed yet, but 47% um, give zero money to the district. That's 119 congregations at this point. Um, that's I've been in this role since 2019, and it's been about that level, about just about half since I've been here. Um, between $1 and $5,000, we have 84 congregations that give to the district. So that's about 33%. And then 5,000 or above, and we're talking annually here, um, 5,000 or above is another 33%, about 82% of our, I mean, 82 of our congregations. So um, so that's a, it's a trend and it's not good. Um, there has been, I think a lot of it is just lack of awareness about what a district does. Um, there's also the trend of, of disunity within our church body which means uh, congregations really aren't interested in the bigger institution. They're just focused on themselves because of, you know, various viewpoints on both sides of the aisle, quote unquote. Um, so that's a trend. Um, overall giving just over time has decreased as well, um, which is an interesting thing just because uh, there are more and more opportunities especially missionally that we're trying to put forward. And, we, and actually I have to caveat that. I think we're starting to see a little bit of an uptick as, as people are seeing what the Pacific Southwest District is trying to do missionally. So they're catching the vision a little bit, but over time, yeah, um, I've gone back years and years and it's pretty interesting how um, just over that period of time, it's, it's decreased. We also have, kind of two elements to how congregations can give. They can give just to, to the district in general, which means that we're free to do what we want with that money, quote unquote, um, to the general fund, to our operational kind of stuff, and also to missions. So like um, a congregation giving a, a block of money to us, part of that will go to support the regional mission council kind of things. But we also have congregations that give specifically for missions, um, which also feeds into something like the regional mission councils or other mission focused things that we would do. The, those mission specific dollars have also decreased. Um, so it's it's both our general giving and our and our missional giving that is decreasing. And it's I would say on average about over the last 10 years has probably decreased by about seven to ten percent. Thanks for sharing all that. Yeah. Um, I think that our district, at least as a, as a newcomer pastor, and um, I think Josh probably would share this sentiment, but, you know, it seemed like there's been a very strong emphasis on the goal of the district to be a resource and the willingness, as you were talking about, President Gibson and Reverend uh, Rivkin, uh, you know, being on the road so much. Um, I think that that's evidence of, you know, they're willing to go out and be where the needs are 
to have the conversations, to 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 see the situations, to be a part of making things better. And um, and I don't know that every district functions that way. Of course, you know it's all about how they intend to be, but um, but it's interesting to hear that the trend isn't necessarily going up for district support from a congregational level. And and I think you're right when you said it kind of comes down to what their priorities are and how they how they handle the fact that there are always going to be kind of political, you know, inter interpolitical divisions between us. Um, it's interesting. I'm preparing for the national convention and reading through the workbook and and reading all the the reports and um and just kind of getting a sense for how some of those thought lines and things work. And uh and it's just it's just um you know when we look at how Paul seems to be appealing to the churches at, in his day, um, all, you know, obviously young churches, all mission outposts in a sense, none more than a couple of decades in existence. And um, and a need arises, and it seems to be more of a case-by-case, a, a case, you know, ad hoc appeal for funds because Jerusalem's in a bad way right now. And of course, we've put more structure and institutionalize the process a little bit more, but the heart of it is still the same. You know, we want to be able to provide for situations as they arise and also to equip people to uh, expand the kingdom as they feel called without necessarily being restricted by their finances. But, um, you know, question is, how do you, how do you combat the sort of consumerist Americanization approach of church where, um, what am it's, I not, it's not necessarily the congregation's fault that they feel this way because we all kind of are conditioned to feel this way, but I'm going to a church that I feel good about, not a church that I necessarily feel ownership of. And especially, I think, in our region where a lot of people come in and out uh, from their wherever their hometown is. I mean, Josh comes from Georgia. I come from northern Wisconsin. And that's true of a lot of our congregation members. And so finding the right church isn't even what's closest to me. It's not even necessarily what's the most Lutheran. It's <laughs> where, where do I feel the best? And if everybody feels that way, it's hard to cultivate a sense of ownership over the church congregation itself, and then ownership over the, the, the church body, you know, whether it be regionally and district level or even national level. Um, but I, you know, I don't, maybe maybe you have a, an opinion and answer to this, Dina. Do you feel like there's a correlation or a connection between these congregational givings and individuals and their contributions to just the offering plate as it comes by? Absolutely, I do. Um, I think there's again, as we talk, as you talk about priorities and ownership, um, if there isn't an emphasis on understanding that we're part of something bigger. Um, it's not a, just about our local congregation, which is critical, obviously, but um, then I think um, a, that lack of a wider vision translates to the individual's understanding of, you know, what is their stewardship? What, what should they be doing? And it's not just money either. It's it's if they're not experiencing the ownership of um of the congregation and the need to be spending their time and their, you know, the talents that God has given them, that kind of whole life stewardship concept, concept. Um, 
I think if it's if the priorities aren't set over the wider vision as an organization, that translates um, directly to the individual, the way I see it. It makes me wonder how much how much impact the the spiritual leadership of of a congregation has, um, which is some when when you were mentioning kind of some of the political and for our listeners, anytime that we're saying political in this context, we're not talking about Republicans, Democrats, right? We're talking about different, um, I'll call them what they are, different factions within the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Different slivers in our tiny little wedge. Yeah, which is is very different from, uh, well, not as different as it should be maybe, but different from politics <laughs> as kind of we see them on a societal level. But all, all this has me thinking, um, like I graduated with uh, brothers that I love them to death. I think they're great pastors. However, they don't want to touch anything related to their district or the synod with a 10-foot pole. They're like, I am head down in my congregation, like that's what I'm dealing with. And I wonder how much that kind of attitude then translates into the congregation. Whereas like the experience John and I have, the district has put a lot into equipping us and to help us be, be better pastors with the different trainings and the different stuff that's been available. And that phone call I was talking to you guys about, Dom, that was about potentially continuing to train some of us guys and, and provide some more opportunities to have those conversations on how to be better equipped pastors. Um, and that's, I mean, just kind of musing I wonder how much that attitude of, you know what, I'm just going to deal with my little section from the top that influences everybody else. But one thing that I've appreciated from our district level is that there's a willingness, regardless of the availability and schedule for an in person visit, there's a high level of availability through phone calls and Zoom calls to bring people, not just pastors, but, you know, uh, or even just congregations, but a, a mixture of those, you know, our, our circuit meetings uh, take advantage of, you know, Dominic, you know, Dominic zoomed in to tell us about, you know, some of the, uh, the, the 110 initiative and um, Mike's made himself super available to talk through some synod, you know, synod level convention preparation stuff. And I mean, even just responding to an email, making themselves available, uh, with text and phone calls, it's it's super helpful. Um, but I recognize that not everyone has that advantage. And Josh and I are beneficiaries of probably lessons learned over the last 30, 40 years of what makes young pastors have longevity in their positions, particularly in pretty disruptive areas and, and, and what doesn't work out so well. But um, yeah, so... In the, if you if you don't mind me suggesting you know just sort of a movement of the conversation though from from district level resourcing and things, uh, in verse two it says you know hey set aside a piece of your income set aside a piece of finances as it goes along with how prosperous you are as it goes along with how how much your income you have um, you know John how do you feel about tithing as a person as a church member, as a district worker, as someone who's connected to pastors, you know, probably each one of those lenses has a different 
reaction to it. Um, and we kind of try to predict how people feel. We try to predict how we can ask for money in a church service if we, and then, you know, just like there's guys that don't touch synod stuff, there's guys that don't touch asking for money. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting thing. So I, I'm going to start with the don't touch stewardship and synod stuff. Um, so it, I, as you were talking, uh, in my own church, I've been an elder for many years, and we we typically intentionally do not talk about some of the synod challenges um, with our congregation in, in, a, in a way to protect them, because there's things that, you know, it, our, our, our phrase that we use is they don't need to know how the sausage is made. You know, it's there's stuff that's just not going to be helpful. Now, on the other hand, there's really positive things that happen in the Senate and in our district in particular that we do try to communicate. Um, and this this isn't a shameless plug, but it's, you know, think uh, for the last couple of years, we've been putting out these uh, mass emails called God at Work. And it's all just trying to help people understand God is here and he is doing incredible things through his people and just trying to get a wider vision of that. And where can someone sign up for that newsletter? <laughs> From our district website, psd-lcms.org, and you could subscribe to our uh, mailing list. Thank that you. will be linked in the description for this podcast for anyone listening. Thank you, Josh. Appreciate that. Got your back, John. So on tithing, um, number one, uh, my comments shouldn't be taken in a legalistic manner, nor should tithing be done in a legalistic manner. Um, uh, Paul is very clearly saying, you know, as each person may prosper is how they should give and as they are compelled in their own heart. But I think, you know, going from the Old Testament, God absolutely knows how we are wired. And I think it's a good practice to tithe that if it's 10% great, if you can do that. Um, I think we need a, I, I read a phrase recently about systematic generosity. Um, or another way to put it is habitual generosity. And it's, I think the way we're wired, um, it's really easy as, for us to be loosey-goosey about how we uh, uh, do our stewardship. And if we make a commitment to a percentage, that just helps us. I mean, I think God knows that that just helps us to do it regularly and do it well. Um, so I think tithing is a good thing um, individually. In my own life, uh, personally, as I have worked into that kind of tithing habit. The blessings are incredible. You know, God says, test me in this. And uh, I have I have really been amazed. Um, and, and it's not just, hey, look, um, you know, God is gonna give you financial blessings because you do this. It's not that at all. It's not that prosperity gospel junk, but it's spiritually. I mean, you, you are you're experiencing um, God being faithful as you are faithful um, in, in tithing. So individually, I think it's really important. Organizationally, it is as well. Um, I know that we do have many of our, our district congregations do tithe. You know, they just take a percentage and give it to district. As a district, we tithe to synod. Um, we do a 10% of what we receive in congregational giving goes directly to synod. So I, I think it's just, it's a good practice. 
that was actually going to be one of my follow-up questions was that does the is the percentage shifted for organizations because i like i've only experienced a couple budgets and in in those budgets it's always like somewhere in the three to four percent range mm -hmm. i'm like is that did at some point did someone decide that's the that's the standard for organizations whereas for individuals it's the 10 percent. but your i mean your statement right there says no where the the district takes the 10 percent approach yeah and that's i think that's been the practice at this district at least for decades you know it's a, it's a 10 percent. you know the the straight literal tithe is is what we do my treasurer is going to love hearing this podcast <laughs> uh, maybe i shouldn't bring up this this idea then but uh <laughs> one of the uh, part of part of Josh and I's seminary education was a a two week intensive course on practical kind of church management uh, matters. Um, my course took place a year the, the winter, so a semester before um, going out on my internship for a year, and uh, in that we read a number of books on different different areas of management. One of them was called Money Matters in the Church, and it talked really practically about how do you understand um, giving, how do you understand preaching around giving, how do you do capital campaigns? And essentially those are the three aspects of the book. And uh, one of the points they make is, you know, there's a lot of interpretations around what biblical tithing looks like. The Old Testament is clear in the covenant relationship God, God had with his people that a 10% of uh, everything contributed to the spiritual needs of the people. And, and the setup was, of course, you know, significantly different than what we have now um, as far as church organization. And then the New Testament it's almost like, yeah, you get away from there being a hard line of 10%, but if anything, the intensity only goes up as, to far, as far as how it should feel to be giving and, and generosity should be something that, uh, uh, yeah, testing, you know, testing God, testing, you know, not putting yourself in jeopardy. I think Jesus has some strong things to say about when we manipulate people into giving themselves in generosity in a, in a negative way, in a way that pushes them past their limits, but but certainly at least pushing the edge of our comfortability. And uh, so so I've always found that helpful to stray away from uh, maybe like in a preaching perspective saying like, you got to get to 10%, do what you can to get to 10%. Um, because all the people I look up to have said, well, I've kind of left that in the rearview mirror and found joy and found greater uh, expression of my faith in, you know, 12% or 13%, you know, it's like, you know, we hear these monstrous numbers above 10%, but um, that's, that's one thing we try to do is like, hey, tithing is an exercise of faith rather than an obligation that you feel um, unless in times of emergency or need, like, hey, we didn't get hit by a giant tornado. You know, what can we do? But um, that's, it's, it's, uh, Josh, what do you, what, what do you feel about, about how, to, how does the conversation go in your church? Well, the, the conversation I've always tried to had, have with people and, and this is a conversation that has been had with me is um, don't, and, and this is kind of in line with leaving the 10% in the rear view as you can, is focus on kind of always stepping forward with it. So like say right now you give, uh, you give $50 a week and that's kind of what your number is. Next time you sit down with your budget, which uh, according to Dave Ramsey, I think he says you sh it should be once a month. You should sit down and, and check your budget and see where it's at. Um, 
you see, hey, maybe this next month we do 75 a week. And and you're less concerned, well, where's my percentage at? Although I think, especially once you get to a certain point, percentages can be more helpful. You say, well, right now we're at 1%. Maybe next month we go to 2%. Um, but you're always looking, well, can we can we serve more? And I think when you start to shift the conversation from I'm just giving to this is a form of service or even this is a form of worship. Um, I think you're right, John, both Johns. I, it can become um, more helpful to just look at where can we where can we push our service forward um, instead of finding where's our where's our plateau, which like, I mean, I can confess to you guys and I guess everyone listening to this podcast like where <laughs> we're plateaued. Uh, we, we're, uh, we're hovering. I, I think it, it comes out to just over 10% because I like round numbers. Um, but like the last time we did budget, I looked at it. I'm like, I don't know where more money would come from because, uh, you know, we have, we want to stay alive and not evicted. Um, so like, I can confess we, we haven't maybe made that push and maybe we should, and, I'm glad Chris doesn't listen to this, listen to this podcast because she'd be like, "You're you're probably crazy for that." <laughs> hopefully, hopefully the podcast does not does not push your listeners to the point where they feel you know spiritually obligated to extend themselves beyond their means. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> if, if giving more means you're going to be evicted and not be able to support your family, uh, that's not what God calls us to. No, um, but. Uh, but I, I I can understand your heart, Josh, because I think you know we're both pretty churchy kids. We come from pretty churchy backgrounds. I found and... out I'm a fifth generation pastor. Wow! So, so you know you even more so than me, and uh, and 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 so we you know we have a way I think of sometimes. I, I mean I would, I'm thankful for the way I was raised in attitude around giving. Where sure I was pretty resistant as a kid to. Did you have one of those piggy banks with the different sections, and you had to put some into the giving. I did have one of those. I think that's Dave. No, that, actually, that might have been a thriving thing way back. The, the blue yeah. pig. Yep. Yep. So I, I did that. I mean, I, you know, we went through the Dave Ramsey kid stuff, but it was just like something my parents did with with our gift money as as around holidays and things. But it conditioned us, and I know that's kind of a buzzword, but um, to to be in the habit of that, and if not necessarily ten percent, at least giving was a part of what we saw we should do with the resources that we had available to us. Um, but what I say on a Sunday morning around giving and what you say around giving on a Sunday morning and what the district has on their website around giving, and then what people hear from churches all across denominations is different. Just as an example, and I pulled up a website of a pretty big church here in Phoenix, and they have a beliefs page. And there's only like seven beliefs on here. They talk about Bible. They talk about the Trinity, salvation, baptism, living, spirit-led living. And then like their eighth thing is giving. And that's their that's their table of beliefs. So it's like, it's right on there. It's, you know, giving is a major, major part of what they believe. And they have a pretty standard, pretty strict view of what giving means. And uh, so so as far as the the normal person on the street who maybe has some church background, maybe doesn't, how do you guys feel? the different messages around giving kind of hits the individual person. 
I'll let you go first, John. Okay. Um, well, <laughs> I, I think number one, giving is not natural. Mm. And it's, you know, our, our tendency is to, to hold on tight to what we have. Um, that it's part of our nature, you know, maybe even it's a part of our sinful nature probably is. Um, but so it's easy, I think, for us to fall into a trap of either, uh, feeling like, Hey, um, all the church wants is my money and, uh, or any charity for the, for that matter, or, um, you know, it's, I'm taking care of number one. It, it maybe we don't realize we're behaving that way sometimes, but um, I do think that the kind of the cultural messages come to us that way, um, and mm. and they do affect us as individuals. Which is again, I think to build on what I was saying earlier about how God knows how we are wired and why that kind of tithe. Um, practice is is just helpful for us because of like you said it too john that builds a habit you know you from a young age you you had a habit so now if you're not doing that habit something's triggering in your head that says you feel it for sure something's not right and 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 then if you are doing that having you experience the blessings of it it's even more so that that it's uh it's important so yeah the the messages of the world and our own you know, nature, um, I think we're, we're really susceptible to it, which I, I just want to add good for you guys for talking to your congregations about stewardship. There are many pastors that are afraid to do that. And will never do that. That's a disservice to their congregations because one thing I've learned in my, again, personally in my life and in the congregations I've been part of, um, people are, even though they may have this innate need to not give, or that's part of their nature, when they are presented with opportunities to give and they they take hold of those, it is amazing. And it's not just the money. I'm talking about using their gifts. That's something that's just hit me over and over in my life is that when people realize that God has gifted them to serve in some way, that's a game changer. And, and it, that's you know, the, this whole life stewardship stewardship concept. Um, I think it's really important for pastors to talk talk about that and and be very free to talk about that. Just to uh, the credit of pastors who don't though, because it's part of our habit. Like every week when we have this, there's a natural break in the service. We say, "Hey, we worship here. We worship with how we live, and we worship through how we spend our money." Mm. Every single time I say that and go through that spiel, I get intensely uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> and, and part of it is because there is, I don't know, I wouldn't call it a dominant narrative, but there's a narrative out there that the church is just a big scam mm -hmm. for money. So it's like, I don't want to feed into that, but there is a reality that this is part, like, it's it's part of what we do. So, well, going along with that, actually idea and the connection i think with what john you were saying is you know god wired us specifically in certain ways and one of the wirings that that most of us share if not everybody shares is that uh exercising certain activities certain muscles certain thought processes 
builds them up and makes them more habitual, makes them more strong, makes them more open. And I think, uh, you know, we start with money as like the the giving thing before. And we talk about serving and we talk about sharing talents and we talk about that stuff. But the one that comes in every single Sunday for churches that collect an offering and that make that a part of their weekly routine, which not everybody does. Um, it's it, That's the common denominator. Everybody in the room has some some form of, of financial means. And therefore there's some level of giving that everyone could, if they wanted to participate in. And uh, I like to try and think of it as like a muscle where the you don't have to start with a lot. Uh, one thing that our senior pastor says often is, I'm not asking you for a particular amount of money. I'm not asking you for a particular percentage. All I'm saying is if you're at zero, make it more than zero. If you're at this number, make it, you know, take what, what's the next step, take the next step. And even if you're not ready for the next step, continue where you're at, if you're doing something and you're going to start to see where the opportunities are for either that gift to become more effective or for your giving to take on a new light. And it's, it's kind of like, um, <laughs> I, I've met very few people who regret the next step in giving that they've taken. I, re I meet very few people who regret, you know, the exercise they did that morning or regret the change in their diet they decided to take on or, you know, who take on a discipline that's good for them. And even though on the front end, it looks uncomfortable and it looks bad and it looks like you could enjoy your life more without doing that on the other side of it, they're like, actually more doors opened up for me. Actually, I'm experiencing life in a whole different way than I did before, even if it's just a shift in perspective rather than a shift of circumstances. Here's a story from District President Gibson. In his years of ministry and in his teaching on stewardship, uh, he made a guarantee in his when he would talk about stewardship. And he would tell people, if, if you're just starting to give, if you commit to an amount and you give that over a year and it has created a hardship for you, we will give you your money back. And he said in his he said it is, you know, 40 years of ministry that happened once. Um, so I, yeah, I think you're right on, John. It, I, I've never heard of somebody making that leap and then regretting it, um, which to me just proves God's faithfulness. So. And I, that's actually kind of a good segue, I think, into with how what what different messages do how mostly we as individuals when we're doing giving what does that send what kind of message does that send to the world for both of you guys to kind of think about it's a good question josh <laughs> i think it's even that... one of the ones on the advance sheet i most of these i've been shooting from the hip but like this yeah. one <laughs> this one was out there <laughs> yeah the message i think the message to the world is, is interesting because everyone has an opinion on this issue regardless of their relationship to a church everyone falls somewhere and maybe they're altruistic and believe in giving regardless of your spirituality and maybe they are totally averse to generosity in general um and or even just financial generosity and uh, and so I think whatever you do is sending a message and, and the most effective message really is not the one that you put on the church website. It's not the one that you preach on the Sunday service. It's the one that you hear from someone you trust on a personal level. 
And uh, and it's interesting. A lot of people are looking for answers on this. And you know, our our church uses a third party for website management, and um, we get a monthly report on on things. And and one of the statistics is always what page on the website got the most hits. And five years ago, when they overhauled the website, um, the pastor at the time had put together a blog on tithing. And the name of the blog is "Where Does It Say to Tithe in the Bible?" and Every month, that is the number one hit on our website. We get five to six thousand new visitors on it every single month, and it's been that way for five years. And we're not pushing it in any ad campaigns. We're not applying any kind of SEO specifically to that blog. It's all organic, and it's like clearly, people are looking for information on this. They're looking for answers on this, and the message that it sends when our people embrace and exemplify generosity, I think is that it carries some value. There's something to it rather than it just being another way for the church to get into people's worlds and take more control and power and money. And rather than it just being like something that doesn't matter, uh, those personal testimonies, those personal examples of generosity, I think send a really valuable positive message to the world around uh, what the church is all about. Yeah, well said, John. I was thinking, you know, uh, you mentioned before, Josh, I think this is an act of worship. And um, as we worship in this way, whether it's financially serving in the community, um, whatever that altruism might, you know, form that might take, people ask, and I know I've experienced this too, uh, why do you do this? <laughs> You know, why are you why are you at the rescue mission on your day off or, you know, why do you give money for this or that or the other thing? And it's, you know, presents an, an opportunity to talk about Jesus. And, you know, this is a response and an act of worship um, to what Jesus has done for us. So um, I think the message it can send is is an open door and um, to help people help to create a bridge to a conversation. Yeah, well, and kind of distilling from some of the things both you guys have said, um, I think two things that, that when we give faithfully communicates is it communicates our priorities and it communicates our, our trust. And what I mean when I say it communicates our priorities, you know, say you have a hundred dollars and you have three or, and you have to choose, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to completely deload this, this conversation. Say you have a hundred dollars and you have to choose between a hockey Jersey, a football Jersey and a soccer Jersey. At that point, how are you making your decision? Which of these three teams is most important to you? Hmm. If you don't yeah. choose the hockey Jersey, you have chosen wrong. Um, but if you have a hundred dollars and, and you're choosing where to spend that, like you're, you are giving a window into your priorities, um, especially when it comes to, and maybe almost exclusively actually when it comes to disposable income, right? If you're, if you're saying I'm choosing between rent and, and giving, it's like, well, that's not a priority thing. That's a, like a, this bill has to be paid kind of thing. Um. And then the other thing it, it says is trust, right? Um, you get your paycheck. The first thing that comes out of that paycheck is your tithe. Like you are trusting that God is going to make sure you, you're not, you're not going to be hurting for that. It's you're stepping out in trust that, you know, 
we're going to be okay, even though we're giving this help. And that's, that's what you communicate when you give is we're trusting that God's going to, going to make sure we're okay. Um, as opposed to saying, I'm going to put this in the bank because I'm trusting that this money is going to make sure we're going to be okay, which maybe is a aggressive or a crass way to put it, but you know, yeah, it's never stopped me before. The paycheck coming in is provision. And what you do with it is a response to that provision, you know, rather than necessarily a, a step you take toward the next installment of provision. Um, you know, generosity is, is a, is a response to what you've got. Um, so yeah, I, I think there's, there's all kinds of opportunities for um, the individual to, to consider, to take steps, to increase their generosity. Um, and, and I think that's probably, you know, as John, you were saying early on, that's how it starts for cultivating a cult congregational notion of generosity. Um, I think as pastors, it's on us to really find a way to make that transparently clear as a value from an organizational point of view. Um, and probably working with board leadership or elders to uh, to do that too, where it's not just the one guy up there asking for the offering, but um, it being a conversation point, you know, on a regular basis. That's that's exactly I was going to add that point. Um, it's important that the body of Christ is talking to each other about how God is faithful, um, and that you can trust Him in your giving. Uh, it, it, there's an accountability piece to it, but it also just, you know, it, it, it gives people peace to hear the stories that are told, um, from different people's experiences within a congregation. And, you know, I think there's great benefit to that. Um, and, and I think the pastor and the lay leadership sets a tone to be able to have those conversations and to hear those stories. So, yeah. 100% agree. Yeah. And uh, so I guess starting to to draw us toward the conclusion, um, for, for those of you who regularly listen to this podcast, I even warned them in advance. We do do the takeaways. But before we get to our key takeaways, I think something that might be uh, might be beneficial for us because of this specific podcast is what would be an action step for in and let's maybe actually stick to in i know on the advanced sheet we have churches and individuals but the reality is individuals listen to the podcast um to my knowledge no churches play this in a, in a corporate setting uh if you do let me know because that's fascinating to me um but so what would be an action step for an individual listening to this? What we, you know, I listened to the podcast you sent me uh, a couple days ago, John. Communication is not worth anything if, if there's not an action that follows it. So what would be the action step following this conversation? From a super practical perspective, I think everyone has a number of a spend that they don't care about. So whether it's the cost of you know, where will you go for lunch if you forgot to pack a lunch and you're fine with spending? Maybe it's $8. Maybe it's $40. Maybe it's $100. Whatever that number is for you, for the number you wouldn't think about on your on your budget to spend, uh, try once a month committing to giving that to church because you know you're not going to miss it. And uh, 
it's not zero. So what if, if you're at, you know, if you're at zero or whatever number you're at, if you're trying to grow, if you're trying to increase your, your practice, whatever that number is for you, and you can look at your budget, you can look at your spending history and, and determine, okay, it looks like regularly, like I'm okay with $12. I'm not okay with $13. Take that, take that amount and add it and just see three months later, how did it feel? Did I notice anything? Did that, you know, did that, um, did that advance something? Do I want to take another step? What? I don't know why you're laughing, Josh. Because what I framed that as is make giving one of your impulse buys for the month. <laughs> yeah. I, all right. <laughs> Good. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, John? What would be a action step you would put in front of people? Well, I, I love what John said. And, and I would add on to that. Think about what's the number that makes you uncomfortable. And maybe that's that's the uh, gap you're gonna you're gonna try to in, uh, cover over time. Um, I am, and and then in all of this, I would say the action step is get into scripture on this, and see what scripture has to say. One of my favorite stories related to stewardship is David's gift for the for the uh, temple, right? I think it's the temple um, where he ensured that he was going to give something sacrificially, um, that this was something that was going to come out of his pocket, not, you know, otherwise. I'm I'm missing, I'm forgetting some of the details of all this at the moment, but um, David said that I will not give something that is not sacrificial. Um, so that's a goal that I think uh, as an action step, put, put what that number might be in your head. And again, not in a legalistic way, but, um, you know, pray into that and uh, look into scripture into that. And and, and it, it's not just money either. I, I want to keep emphasizing that. Um, maybe maybe you're feeling a pull that God has gifted you in some way that, um, that you can use, but you just haven't seen yet how to use it uh, within your faith life. Um, pray into that and take a risk. Take a risk, just like John said. You know, start with that twelve bucks. Well, maybe you, maybe you have some way of, maybe you've never served in your children's ministry before, but you've always wondered if that was something that you could do. Well, take a risk, try it. If you're a member at Edgewater, though, first we have to background check you. Absolutely, we can, we can start the process of you. Yeah. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Yeah, prayer, prayer is also a practical, as John mentioned. Prayer, prayer would be my first step, yeah. and then um, the impulse buy. But uh, and yeah. if if I was, you know what, I'm going to break my own rule and say, as churches, especially if you have a voice on a leadership board at your church, speak to giving to, especially if you don't speak to giving to district. I'm district is not sponsoring this podcast. I want to be clear, like this was our concept. We reached out to John, but this is something I believe is important. Like whatever your experience with district is we are we're called to support the church big c and that's more than just us so if you have a voice on those leadership boards at your congregation say hey this is something we should be doing this is something that is good for us to do as a congregation um and kind of have that uncomfortable what might be an uncomfortable conversation right and, and then uh, especially if you're not uh, at edgewater you can blame me i don't care 
Josh told me I had to bring this up. Okay, <laughs> fine. <laughs> and I will, I will, to piggyback on that, Josh, there have been multiple times where we've you know, provided some information to a lay leader or even a pastor about their church's giving, and they had no idea that they were either giving nothing or, you know, not much. And they immediately went to their their leadership or their pastor and things changed. So, you know, take a look and see if it's in your budget um, or, you know, how it's being handled and have that conversation. So with those action steps in mind, uh, we are, we're going to transition. One thing to take away, and if it was the action step, you can just say it was the action step, but what would be the one thing you would ask for people to take away from this episode of man buns in Jesus with one whole man bun on it? Man bun, man bun in Jesus. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not redoing the graphics, John. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> well, my, my uh, takeaway is for always remember, and this is a, this is a president Gibson phrase. You are part of something bigger. Um, within your congregation, that is that is the point of the spear uh, for the gospel in your community, and be part of that. And also remember, there is a big C church that has huge opportunities and that needs um, the gifts of its people. What about you, John? With an H. Yeah, I think uh, I think that giving is an opportunity that's always open to us to grow in our faith and our relationship with God. And though the specifics of how that mechanically works are going to be different for each one of us, um, it's true that that's a threshold, I believe, in our spiritual development. And when you cross into the world of, all right, I'm going to give a little bit. It, it opens it up to you new opportunities to know God and to know yourself before him. So um, I always try to frame giving as an opportunity for spiritual growth um, rather than an obligation or an exchange or transaction. Um, and, uh, and, and I found that to be true for me. And I found that to be true for people that um, have been, have, have been open with me about their own giving journey. And to kind of close this out, I think, my takeaway, and this is probably going to be something I incorporate into my own language because I really like it, uh, make an improvement of your giving your next month's impulse buy. I, I really like the way John phrased that of, you know, what amount of money are you okay with just kind of casually pulling something off the shelf at Target or whatever, um, and make that instead of, you know, pulling whatever off the shelf or make that part of your, uh, your next month's giving. So, um, with all that being said, uh, gentlemen, is there anything you'd like to shamelessly plug here at the end of the podcast? Uh, we already do have the God's work in the Pacific Southwest that we'll be linking in the description. Anything else, anything, uh, you guys are working on or your, your churches are working on that you want to put out there? Is that a no? I think so. I, I covet your prayers for our church body's uh, uh, ability to navigate conflict and differences of opinion. 
as particularly as that happens in a very um, tangible way at our national convention in July and August. All right. I'll add my amen to that. That's exactly where kind of where I was thinking too. Um, this has been Man, Buns, and Jesus. If you have a friend who uh, struggles with giving or they they want some clarity on this, uh, go ahead and share this podcast with them. Hopefully it helps and, and doesn't make it worse. Um, that, that was the goal here. And uh, subscribe, follow whatever podcast platform you prefer. We're on all of the big ones, uh, Spotify, Apple, Google, Pandora, all, all of those. Um, and, and we do appreciate that. It's mostly just an ego boost for us, but you know, sometimes we need it. So, uh, and we do have a Facebook page. We don't care if people like that or not. It's mostly there. If you have a topic you want us to talk about, if you have something you want to cover, if you have a guest you want us to try and get on, I did reach out to Mike Pence. They have not replied to me. Um, we'll, we're have, we'll take on everything. We'll take on whatever you got. Uh, if you know myself or Ben Olschlager personally, reach out. You can just shoot us a text, whatever. If you don't, that's what the Facebook page is for. You can give us a message and uh, we, we check that from time to time. Um, and I think that was all the shameless plugging I had to do. If you need a church in the Phoenix area, John's got you. Uh, Shepherd, Shepherd of the Hills, is that right? It's Shepherd of the something. Shepherd of the Desert? Shepherd of the Desert, Lutheran Church and Preschool. Shepherdaz.church is our website. You can find us pretty easily, uh, I, I believe. And um, our preschool enrollment is practically full for next year. But if you're interested, you can always schedule a tour with our preschool office. And uh, we'd love to uh, explore your relationship with Jesus together. There you go. Uh, Josh, I, I for... have heard Shepherd of the Desert has some great preachers. So get excited about that if you if you give them a visit. If you need a church in Lake Orion, Michigan, um, check out uh, Good Shepherd. And that's with Pastor Ben Olschlager. I don't know if he's going to be there on Sunday uh, on account of he's on vacation, but he might be, and especially by the time this releases. So there's that. And uh, well, don't I guess you could visit John at the district office, but uh, he probably won't preach to you. If you're in Orange County, I'd suggest you uh, join us at uh, Christ Lutheran Costa Mesa, my church, or Christ Lutheran Huntington Beach, which is a uh, church merger and they're Huntington Beach is our new campus, so either way, you guys go if you're in. And that Josh, area. your your church for the people in Corona and Eastvale. Corona Eastvale, you can come check out Edgewater. Uh, we worship at Rondo School of Discovery. We love to see you. I'll be there this Sunday. I hope <laughs> that's the intention. And uh, in any and if you're not in any of those places, uh, find church and be there on Sunday. We we look forward to seeing you. Uh, and uh, go in peace, serve the Lord. Hey, thanks, Josh. Thank thanks you, for John. you and Jen's conversations and keeping the church moving forward. And uh, John, thanks for everything you do uh, through the district office and helping us uh, navigate modern life. It's our honor and our pleasure. Thank you guys for how you serve. <laughs>